So at Bee Creek United Methodist Church, we have a mission statement, and that says that we are imperfect people, transformed by the perfect love of God who changed the world together. Now, as a pastor, what I find is I'm naturally kind of like a magnet. I'm drawn to the top and the bottom of that vision statement, or the bookends, however you want to call it. I'm drawn to those. I preach on those areas. I'm passionate about inviting imperfect people and going out to change the world. And then I spend time with the Lord, and I think about what I'm going to preach on, and God invites me into the middle space, into that space of transformation. Because it's true that if we just all come imperfect and we leave imperfect, We've missed a piece. And so as I've been praying about sermon series I want to preach this year, one of the things that God has asked me is if I would spend time talking to you about the middle, about the transformation that can be ours in Christ, and how to let the Holy Spirit transform our lives. So one of the ways I want to do that is I want to talk this in the upcoming series about the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is found in the book of Galatians, This is written by Paul to a church that was just, I mean, as much as I tell you that I love you and I'm proud of you, Paul is telling the Galatians the exact opposite. He is like, you do not have it. You are not getting it. And the witness that the Galatians were putting in the world was like, oh my gosh, please don't say you're Christian. Because if the rest of the world sees that this is what a Christian is, nobody's going to want to be a Christian. So he's trying to correct them and to help them grow in their faith. And you'll see this because he describes how they are, and then he says, but this is what God's calling you to be. So this is from Galatians chapter 5. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of a life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no law. So what Paul is saying is, you look a lot, he's saying to his church, you look a lot like the world, and the Holy Spirit wants to transform you. And when the Holy Spirit transforms you, you're going to have these different fruit. And the word fruit is singular. It's like, in every person, all of these fruit. So I can't just say to my my good friend, Jana, okay, Jana, I want you to do self-control and patience. Take the hard ones, and I'm going to do love, joy, and peace, okay, <laughs> right? We have to say in all of us that this is the fruit God wants to see, that when we see this in our lives, we say, I'm on the right path. When others see it in our lives, they say, you must be one of God's children. So Paul begins the list with love, um, but your pastor is going to go ahead and start in the middle with patience, What's wrong with me, right? Why start with the most difficult, well, self-control, I could argue that, but why start with one of the hardest things? Because I think, as I look at this list, that these fruit need space to grow. Have you ever planted a garden? 
um, some of y'all give me your little volunteer tomato plants, and I put them in the ground, and I swear to y'all, the next, the next day I'm like, what's happening, tomato plants? You know, like, I, I want that fruit right then, and having to wait a month and see them be green and then bigger, and then a squirrel steals them, it just, it just kills me. So... W- I wanted to start with patience because patience is what lets the rest of the fruit grow. We are never going to be more loving, more peaceful, more self-controlled if we can't become more patient first. So how patient are we, my friends? Are we bastions of patience? Like we are just living out, living examples of patience. Um, Our society is not going to help us with this at all. Okay, Um, although... Austin definitely gives us ample room to practice, right? As we're driving around, our city has decided not to create infrastructure. So as we belatedly put it in or as you're stuck in traffic on Mopac, is when you're there, are you like, thank you, Jesus. Mm, I'm so glad I live in Austin because I get to grow this fruit of patience in my life, right? Or when I say to you, what was the best part of your day? You know, yesterday when Kevin comes home, like, what was the best part of your day? Is he ever going to say, oh, honey, I got in line behind this lady with 50 items in the um, 15-item express lane, and that was just glorifying to my soul to be there. You know, we're like, have you all been there? Come on. You know, I'm a Christian, but come on. That says 15. Can't you read? And what are we talking about? Like two minutes, right? Three minutes. And it chaps our hides, right? We're just not having it. What about when, when you have your blinker on? You have your blinker on, and by gum, you are waiting patiently. But the car pulls out in such a way that some other little car zips in right in front of you. Are you like, God bless you, because I get to walk a little further today? Or are you like, blah, 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 or at least, blah, 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 blah. I say these things because I know, because I am a person who struggles with patience. None of us are good at it. And we live in an instant society that doesn't teach it to us. It teaches us to expect things quick. Um, My little brother's here today. Hi, little brother. Um, Remember Granny's phone when we used to dial the number? It was a rotary phone. And we had a lot of eights in our home number. And so eight, tick, 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 tick. Two, okay, eight, tick, 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 tick. You'd be like, come on, you know? So back in the days when you had to dial a rotary phone, you could learn a little bit of patience. But now what is it? I just go to my favorites and hit send, right? And I'm talking right now. Um, You can text people if talking is a little too slow. You just text them, right? Right? Um, You can email them. We live in an instant society. And when you send me a text message, how quickly do you expect me to reply? Come on, right? Right now, and you see those little typing bubbles? Okay, well, at least she got it. She's making the response, right? Society will not teach us patience. Don't go out into the world to learn it. You have to come to the Lord to learn patience. It has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. And it's a beautiful one. But it's a hard one, isn't it? Like, I really struggle with praying, God, help me have patience. Because what's going to happen? You're going to have some examples or some things to practice patience, right? God's going to put those, those times in your life to practice. But I don't think we even need to look for them. They're right there. And what I'd say to you is people of faith have to get good at patience. 
because God has a reputation of having a different timetable than we do. Think about the greats of the faith. Um, Abraham and Sarah waited their whole life for a child. They never had one. And then God shows up and Sarah's in her 70s. And God says, you're going to have a son. You're going you're gonna to have a son who has children and you're going to have so many children that it's more than the stars in the sky. And somehow they have the faith to believe. And then they wait over 10 years before Sarah's pregnant. Did you realize that? People say, well, Sarah took matters into her own hands. Well, of course she did. She was pushing 80, and she was starting to think like, oh, my gosh, God, there's something I need to do to make this happen. Or their great-grandson, Joseph, God gives him dreams of, that, of changing the world, of being in authority and being in power and making a real difference in people's lives. And he can't wait and so he tells his family, this is what God's going to do in my life. And his brothers are like, I hate that kid. And so they, they throw him in a pit and they sell him. They're like, now the dreamer's gone. And Joseph spends 13 years as a slave or in prison before he finally comes to that place that God gave him a vision of 13 years before, right? He had patience to wait through terrible times. Or David, man after God's own heart. He's a young kid. Samuel anoints him. You're going to be the king of Israel. He goes out and he sees a giant that everybody's afraid of, but he faces him and defeats him. And I'm sure that young kid thought, today Goliath and then soon I'll be on the throne. But did y'all realize it was 22 years before David sat on the throne as king over all Israel? And he spent that fleeing from Saul, the current king in the wilderness, and having to make these gut-riching decisions about, do I kill Saul or do I wait for God's timing? And he kept cho choosing to wait. But perhaps, like, the, the most extreme example of patience is Isaiah. We know and love Isaiah. He's a great prophet in the Bible. He gives us some words like we sang about how you mount up on wings like eagles. That's Isaiah. And at Christmas, we sing about wonderful God, mighty counselor, everlasting father, prince of peace. That's Isaiah. He was the guy who helped his nation believe that a savior was coming and stand tough in the darkness. But as I was reading through Isaiah, this one time, I was like, I'm going to read the whole book. I got to chapter 20. I was like, wait, what? Because, oops, nobody had ever preached to me a sermon on this. I had never heard it at Christmas, okay? There's probably a reason for that. Um, but it's in chapter 20, and it's starting in verse 1. It says, in the year when King Sargon of Assyria. <clears throat> now, Assyria was the worst nation in the ancient Near East. They, we got to see some of the relics of Assyria when we were on sabbatical. And the children were, I mean, they were transfixed but also horrified. Because on all of their paneling in the king's palace, which they now found and put in a museum in, in um, England, there's people being beheaded. There's them being brutally killing animals. There's people with their beards chopped off and deformed people. And Assyria, when they conquered you, they were not gracious. They were vicious, and they were very powerful. 
They were the ones that destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. Destroyed them so completely that we call those ten tribes in the north the ten lost tribes of Israel. They're gone. And Assyria is who destroyed them. So Assyria is coming. The king sent his commander-in-chief to capture the Philistine city of Ashdod. Those are the neighbors of Israel. The Lord told Isaiah, son of Amos, Take off the burlap you have been wearing and remove your sandals. Isaiah did as he was told and walked around naked and barefoot. Then the Lord said, My servant Isaiah has been walking around naked and barefoot for the last three years. This is a sign, a symbol of the terrible troubles I will bring upon Egypt and Ethiopia. For the king of Assyria will take away the Egyptians and the Ethiopians as prisoners. He'll make them walk naked and barefoot, both young and old, their buttocks bared to the shame of Egypt. Then the Philistines will be thrown into panic, for they counted on the power of Ethiopia and boasted of their allies in Egypt. Then they will say, if this can happen to Egypt, what chance do we have? We were counting on Egypt to protect us from Assyria. So when I was reading this, the first thing I thought is, Oh my goodness. I am so glad I'm not a prophet because I could not live out that call. I mean, Isaiah had to, Isaiah was a respected man, y'all. Elijah, he was kind of off living in his own cave somewhere. Isaiah was in the heart of Jerusalem. The king listened to him. He moved in those circles of people who made decisions and he brought hope to those places. He was respected. He had a wife and he had children. And God's call is pure humiliation. It's pain. Day after day. Can you imagine how it must have been every day for Isaiah to get up and say, I hope that this is the last. Dear God, let it be the last day. Give me back my dignity, Lord. And then every day to, to realize it wasn't the last day and to do it again. Because the scripture says, God just said, do it. He didn't say why and he didn't say for how long. He just said, I need you to do it. And somehow Isaiah had the faith and the extreme patience to go for three long years in obedience to a call that he didn't understand, but which God said was important. And the reason I think this is a story that speaks to us is because I understand at least a little bit of how he feels. I think maybe all of us can, can say that there have been times when inside we have felt pained, stripped and, and just unprotected like every day we're just hoping God give me the answer I've been praying and I need you and where are you or many of you have said there's just seasons in life and we've seen this in our friends lives even where I think how much more can happen to them it has to end this year has to be better this month has to be better and then something else hits and so the reason I come to this story is I think, well, if Isaiah could find the patience and the faith to walk through this time and 
that there was a reason for it, then maybe when we're in those places where we're praying prayers and we're not getting the answer, or we're walking through days that really hurt, we could find the patience to keep going. How did he do it? Well, I guarantee he was praying. He had to be. He, he had to be turning his face to God every day and with tears in his eyes saying, I need your strength. I need your courage to keep doing this. I'm going to give up on my own. Please help me one more day. He had to be praying. And so what I'd encourage us to do is in those times where we feel like our patience is being tested and we're about to snap or to give up, is that we lift our faces to God and say, God, help me. Please, I need you to begin every day by, by saying that and then get in a practice when we hit these hard times. When we're, even if it's small, like stuck in traffic, practice. I need you. Help me. I can't do it without you. So he prayed. The second thing he would have done is remember his calling. Isaiah was a prophet. And so it was his job to live out these painful messages so that his nation could change what they were doing. And he would have seen God speak through him in redemptive ways in the past. He would have known it was worth it. And so part of what kept him going through this utter humiliation was God has a message for his people. God has a message for his people today. You have a calling today, probably not to be a prophet, but to be a light in the darkness, yes. To be an example of hope in difficult times, when the economy is down, when you lose your job, when you're sick, one of the things that um, we did the funeral for Russell Wiles, and um, one of the things that touched me so greatly about Russell's life is people in the hospital when he was there, they wanted to be his nurse or his doctor. And the nurses told Patty, usually we don't like COPD patients because it's just, they're so anxious and they're so terrified, but we all fight over your husband because of his witness. And I promise you guys, people are watching. Just like they were watching Isaiah. The world is so desperate to see something different, to see a word of hope, and they could see it in you. And when I talk to people who come into the church from never having faith, and I say, what brought you here? So many times they'll say, well, I had a friend, or I had a coworker, or this man in my neighborhood who was a believer and they were going through such a hard time but they had something I didn't have and I wanted it so when you are in those painful times pray and and then remember you can be a light even in the darkest times of your life just like Isaiah the final thing that Isaiah believed is he believed that God hadn't left him Now, for a lot of us, that's hard because we've all made an appointment with somebody and they forget us. Or your dad told you way back when you were a kid he was going to come to your game, your recital, and he didn't make it. And so we kind of hedge our bets when it comes to trusting God to, to meet us. 
And we think maybe like Sarah that maybe God forgot us and we're not working hard enough. But see, Isaiah knew God's going to meet me. He didn't know how long it would be. He didn't know why, but he knew there had to be a reason. And that God would not fail him. That the pain would end. And that's what happened. It took three long years, which is more than most of us would want to wait. But God showed up. And God says, hey, this is a message about what the Philistines are choosing to do. The Philistines are trusting Egypt and Ethiopia to protect them against Assyria. And it won't work. The the mighty warriors of those nations are going to be led away naked and in chains. It won't work. Trust me instead, God was saying. You know, our clothes protect us. Every single person in Jerusalem had seen Isaiah walking around naked. And then they knew, well, what God is saying is you can't trust the might of a foreign army. You have to trust the Lord. You know what happened as a result of this is that the nation of Judah was able to trust God to deliver them from Assyria. And they won. But they wouldn't have had the faith to do that if they didn't hear that message from Isaiah. And I promise you, friends, that even if we don't know how long it will last and we don't know the reason for it, God can redeem it. That is his specialty, is to bring amazing good out of our darkest times. But we can't give up halfway there. We have to keep going. We have to believe that he's going to meet us. And that's where patience comes in. Patience is just that extreme courage to just keep walking through your days when you don't want to anymore. To pray when you want to give up. To remember to be a witness when you'd rather crawl away and hide. And to know that God's going to meet you. And when we build that into our lives, then we're going to see all the rest of these fruit. They have room to grow. That's beautiful. Eugene Peterson is the author of the Message Translation of the Bible. And he says that Christians face a hard time because we live in an instant society. But faith requires a long obedience in the same direction. When we give God that, a long obedience in the same direction, then we're going to find that our lives are transformed and that we have more ability than we ever have to change the world as God is calling us. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you would be patient with us. Meet us in the times where our patience is tested, in the times when we don't understand, and in the darkness that seems not to end. And remind us that you're by our side. Help us to give you a long obedience, to keep walking towards you even when we want to give up. And Lord, may, through your Holy Spirit, may patience be one of the fruit that we can see growing strong in our lives. And may patience be something that you use as a witness to others that they might want to have faith in you as well. Amen.